So today's sermon will be my third in the series called The Debate Over Food and Days. Excuse me. In my last sermon, I went over the differences that we have because of our histories and our life experience that give each one of us the convictions that we possess. Needless to say, none of us walk into a church having the same theological framework. We're all different. We have different experiences and different family cultures that we come from. However, as Romans 14.1 instructs us, we are informed to accept one another simply because God has accepted each one. An individual usually attends a church because they are interested in what the church has to offer them and, of course, their family if they have one. But no church will be perfect in their offering of what any individual may be looking for. So as a result, we make concessions for the better cause of seeking unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. A cursory look at the first century informs us that the Jew and the Gentile came from very different life experiences and from very diverse cultures. These differences led to a collision in the first century that most were not ready to confront. The Jews had their way of conducting their lives before a holy God, and the Gentiles had their way of conducting their pagan lives before their pagan gods. The two people had their way of <clears throat> the two people groups were as diametrically opposed as opposed can be, but God, in his sovereign decree, had a plan to bring these opposing people together, and by doing so, he would demonstrate that a human being being infused with the righteousness of Christ, could overcome any differences that may exist between himself, his proclivities, and someone who may disagree with him. When the gospel was taken to the Gentiles, there was not much that was required of them to change their manner of life. Yes, the gospel was preached and repentance from sin was required, but cultural differences were not a primary topic of discussion. We find a case in point in the books of Act, in the book of Acts. And please turn with me there. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Now to give you a little bit of backdrop here, at this time the gospel was being preached to the Gentiles and these same Gentiles, praise the Lord, were being saved by the presentation of the gospel. However, there were some Jews who were attempting to impose certain mosaic ceremonial regulations upon the Gentiles that had nothing to do with the presentation of the gospel. Because of this, there was a council that was convened in Jerusalem to meet out the specifics of this matter. Please follow along at verse 1 of Acts chapter 15. And the text says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, well, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this very question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. They were generally excited about this. The the Gentiles are being brought into the faith. But there were ones from the Jewish side that were trying to suppress the faith that God had given them. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Could this be true? After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling them the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and build David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food, polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas and Silas, men who were leaders among the Gentiles. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentiles, believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have been, we have heard that some went out from among us without authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm the word of the mouth that we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as we come before your word today, you have promised us in your word that your word, when it goes forth, it would not fail to accomplish what you have desired it to achieve. And Father, we pray that we would have open hearts in this day to embrace what the Spirit would say to the church. And Father, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we see in this text, very clearly in this text, there were some Jews that were being troubled to the Gentiles by teaching that one must be circumcised to be saved. I am sure this presented quite a conundrum to the Gentiles, and especially to those female Gentiles. However, the gospel presentation brought in a new covenant, a spiritual covenant, where the hearts of men and women alike would be circumcised by the power of the Holy Spirit, both Jew and Gentile alike, saved the same way, by the circumcision of the Spirit on the heart of those that God would call to believe the truth. The main thrust of the new covenant in Christ's blood was that it was new, It was heavenly. It was liberating. And it allowed for differences of opinion, differences in culture, differences in dress, differences in eating, and even differences when it came to special days. Whereas most Jews did not understand the disconnect with the ceremonial law, because it was something that was established through generation after generation. So they just did not understand. What do you mean that these men no longer have to be circumcised? And the Gentiles would not have understood the connection to the ceremonial law. You mean we have to go back to the ceremonial law of the Jews to believe? Is this true? But you can see what Paul says in his letter here is both were saved the same way by faith that God had granted to the believer, whether he was Jew or Gentile, according to the grace of God. Now, um, now in verse 29, I want to bring one thing to your attention. We see that there were prohibitions for the new Gentile believers. But they were basic in their contact. Luke says, once again, this. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Now, now why do they say these things? You know, it's hard to find in the commentary, commentaries what they meant by this. But I have an idea. <laughs> but we need to all study for ourselves. After I give you my ideas, you need to go back to the Word of God and examine what my ideas are. 
But I believe that this statement is agreed to by the apostles and thus given to the Gentiles so that they could find peace in their communion with the Jews. Now we're talking about, we're, we're talking here about the very foundation of the liberty in Christ that he would give us. Liberty to the Jew and to the Gentile. Now, Jesus did not come in. Paul did not come in. Peter did not come in and say, change everything out of your culture. He didn't say anything like that, right? They didn't say anything like that. But they were coming in with the gospel message, saving people through the grace of God by faith. Within our Christian liberty, we do not want to erect walls that would be offensive towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And thus I think that this is why the prohibitions in verse 29 are given. In other words, if the Gentiles, Gentile believers were to continue in these things, it would be offensive to the Jews and thus cause a wounding of their conscience. Now the exception in this verse is the last prohibition that he talks about here in verse 29, to abstain from sexual immorality. Engaging in sexual immorality, of course, is forbidden in the moral law, and thus it would be a sin against God to engage in such practice. All this to say that no matter what environment that we find ourselves in, It is our responsibility to do one thing as Christians, and that's properly represent Christ and not ourselves. And to consider the consciences of others before we consider even our own conscience. Paul expounds on this in his letter, first letter to the church in Corinth. If you could turn with me there. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. At verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, um, the apostle says this to the church. He says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. I think we need to read that about a thousand and fifty times. Let not one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Each eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat what is ever set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So think about this. You're not going in to your neighbor, your unbelieving neighbor, to cause friction in his home, to disagree with what he eats and say, no, I can't eat that, I won't eat that, that is not good, and neither is that. But what does Paul inform the Corinthian church to do? Eat that which is set before you. Eat that 
which is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, verse 28, this has been offered in sacrifice to an idol, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, not your own conscience, for his. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? (coughs) If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Right? So we can get to the point here where we're just thinking about ourselves. Well, I give thanks for the food. You know, so what, So why should I be bothered by it? I'm going to partake with thankfulness. This guy may not. You know, so we have a disagreement. But look at, look at what Paul says at the end of this chapter. It says in verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jew or to Greek or to the church of God, just as I try. Just as I attempt, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Why? That they may be saved. That they may be saved. And think about this. You know, so I brought up the, the song years ago, Love Song, written in 1970, Little Church on the Edge of Town where people were coming in just to hear the gospel, but they didn't look the same. Some were in uh, three-piece suits and ties, and there were others that came off the beach. They didn't have any shoes on. They had long hair. They may have had tattoos. And there were people, you know, who looked down their nose. What in the world is that person doing in church? Right? when this person doesn't know anything about church to start with. He's just there to hear this good news about Jesus, right? So why do we look down our nose at people who look differently than us? You know, if they need cleaning up to do in their lives, God will do that because they are servants of his and they have been given the same faith we have. We must be careful. We must be careful. I'm not saying that we don't have, we don't have uh, appropriate dress and that time to time there's someone that needs to be addressed because the way they are dressing or not dressing. <laughs> but we need to be careful. We need to be discerning. Because we have been given the freedom and liberty in Christ. And what does that mean? primarily or foundationally. God has broken broken the power of sin at the cross. And he has freed us from that sin. He has broken that chain. And now the law of God has no more judgment over us. Why? Because Jesus took that penalty for us. Jesus took the penalty, the full force of God's wrath at the cross. He did it. So 
So no matter what environment we find ourselves in, I'm not saying don't be discerning. We do need to be discerning. You know, but let's not immediately, someone comes walking in the door, we look down our nose at them. They're different. I don't like it. Did you see that ring she had in her nose? Okay. All right, maybe she does have a ring in, in her nose. But do you know what her history is? Do you know what kind of background she's come from? And we're just going to start judging her immediately as she walks through that door? Christ wouldn't do that. Neither would the apostles. But they would seek to administer the gospel to this individual, which is the very thing we should do. To what, what changes hearts? God opens up the heart. The gospel is preached. And the person is born again. Right? But everything starts with milk at first, right? The gospel. We can't expect someone to walk in and say, well, they must not be eating any meat. They've got just milk all over them. <laughs> right? We need to be sensitive. We need to be inquiring. What kind of life has this person had? We can, I, I got to tell you, I've played the Pharisee so many times I can't count. The Lord has given us freedom. He's given us liberty of conscience, as Paul talks about in the first few verses in Romans 14. We must appreciate that. There's nothing wrong with having a dialogue about, oh, why are you wearing a ring in your nose? But let's be inquiring, let's be appealing, let's not be condemning. So it is our responsibility to walk as Christ walked. First, uh, First John two six. If you, we say we are Christians, we ought to walk like Christ, <clears throat> and we consider our neighbor, our neighbor's conscience, our neighbor's history, the family that they came from the terrible environment they were subject to before we start judging them. Please turn with me. Let's go back to our text, Romans 14, and we'll work our way through the final verses in Romans 14 today. And I want to start at verse 7 here, Romans 14, verse 7. And the apostle says this, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Verse 10, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves before God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. 
Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. No stumbling blocks before a brother or sister just because you have freedom in Christ and you have proclivities in in your freedom in Christ that you follow. Don't foist those upon others as if they are cardinal doctrine in the Scripture. Yes, the, the great cardinal doctrines of the faith we must all come to unity on. But there will be freedom of conscience. There will be liberty. And as we, as we discussed, our consciences can sometimes be trapped in the past. The way we were raised. Oh, my mom did things this way, my dad did things this way, and that's why I do the things I do. Okay? But there's room to work with one another and have an open discussion in regard to the liberties that Christ has given each one. Paul makes a very important point in these seven verses here. And it has everything to do with our mindset as a Christian. We all know that the old man or the man of our flesh is quick to judge another if that other has not conformed to our form of Christianity. Right? Oh, they're just wrong. You know, I've got a a corner on Christianity. I know my Bible. Okay. But Paul states here that this kind of thinking is an error in regard to the Christian. When we judge a brother for something that he has liberty to do, we are judging in a manner that the Lord has not given us liberty to do. Rather than building walls that cause divisions in the church, we need to be focused on building bridges that bring unity within the body of Christ. Whereas it can be necessary to divide over truth. It is never wise to divide over matters of opinion that we have the freedom in Christ to hold. When we are converted, each one of us are granted liberty in Christ. However, we can be stunned in our liberty or our kindness toward others by the way that we have been taught. This is the very reason why we should not listen to just one man's teaching or preaching. You see, each one of us has a propensity to embrace error. Each one of us does. And once error is embraced, we also have the propensity to spread our error to others. To avert this, we need a steady diet of the Word of God, praying for discernment, and hearing the word taught from various sources that we trust. In the case of liberty, we see this not only taught by men in the Bible, but also put on display by these same men in the Bible. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. And we're going to read through the whole chapter here. It's short. A lot of reading the word today, which is good because the word, the word is inspired by God. My words are not inspired by God. <laughs> so we lean, we lean upon what the text says, what the Bible says. 
at verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says this. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know yet, know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. Right? It doesn't exist. There's no other God but one, right? So someone might say they worship an idol, but they worship nothing. Because, because there are no other gods. Verse 5, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols. Okay, so there, there was a lot of pagan deities that the Gentiles worshipped. So, you know, they could have had an entire lifetime worshipping these deities. Okay, this is where our discernment comes in. Wow, I'm not sure why they would say there even is a false god or a, or a pagan deity. Well, we've got to ask questions. As to the history of the individual, why would you think this way? Paul goes on. Let me read verse 7 again. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. As Paul says in Romans 14, 1 and 2, God accepts each one. The vegetarian who eats only vegetables and and then the carnivore or the omnivore who, who eats all foods. God accepts each one. And so what do we do? We accept each one. God sets the precedent. We follow his precedent that he has set. Verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sitting against your brothers and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The Apostle Paul, being a man of word and deed. We as well need to be men and women in word and deed, carrying the integrity of a Christian. For for we represent as ambassadors in Christ, Christ to this generation. 
You know, Jesus no longer walks the earth. Peter, Paul, all the apostles, the disciples, they're no longer here. But you and I are. We are the responsible parties as the ambassadors of Christ to minister, to preach, to teach the gospel to those who do not know it. We see in this 1 Corinthians 8 text that Paul was extremely sensitive to the individuals that he was ministering to, even to go so far as to look back into their lives before Christ, to gain greater understanding, and thus to gain somewhat of a profile to help him in his ministry toward them. We must admit that we all come from various backgrounds with different experiences. Based upon these differences, our convictions in regard to so many things will vary. But we should not allow these differences to upset our unity that we have in Christ. These are only variances or matters of opinion that have nothing to do with the cardinal doctrines of Scripture, and thus we should never divide over them. Just think about all the differences that we may have in this room. The differences we possess about life and theology and, you know, other things like dress and drinking and playing cards and going to movies and just everything. Just think about that. Differences in dress, food choices, when it comes to alcohol, differences when it comes to movie watching and and the like. Talk to a person long enough and you will find that you too have differences with them. It's just so. But if these differences are a matter of opinion, we have freedom in Christ to have opinions and to express these differences, albeit in love. But we also have responsibility to go beyond that as well and to be sensitive to the needs of our neighbor whose opinions may be different than ours. So we make concessions, right? We make concessions. For example... One may have been raised by an alcoholic father who was abusive in the home. Now just sitting at a table where someone else is drinking today, drinking alcohol today, may trigger the brother's memory of the abusive alcoholic father and thus wound the conscience of the weaker brother. This would be an action where the person who chooses to drink when their brother's conscience is weak, builds a wall between himself and his brother. Unless he has no knowledge that he was raised in an abusive, alcoholic environment by his father. If you know that your brother is negatively affected by your liberty, it would be best to not express your liberty when in the presence of the weaker brother. This would be demonstrating that you are showing love to your brother by dying to yourself. You are denying yourself the drink because you understand that it brings a negative effect 
on your weaker brother, the last thing we should want to do is to wound the conscience of our brother or sister in Christ. Now on the other side of this, we have the responsibility of the weaker brother. Because of past experiences, the weaker brother has a very difficult time when alcohol is served at an event. Oh, I can't do this. I'm out the door. Okay. Through the power of the Spirit, though, the weaker brother can come to the point where he is accepting of his brother who may have a glass of wine or beer with his dinner. With the Spirit's help, the weaker brother can now see that there is a broad gap between the abusive alcoholic father and the brother who occasionally has a glass of wine with him. The brother may even drink wine for medicinal purposes, which is good. Whereas the alcoholic father accomplished no good thing when he drank and abused his family. The weaker brother has now come to the conclusion that the brother's glass of wine was for good purpose. Whereas the abusive alcoholic father demonstrated no good purpose in his drinking. So now the weaker brother has found a way to build a bridge between himself and his brother who drinks. Yet in moderation, the resolve for both individuals should be, how do I show the love of Christ to my brother? Even though he drinks and I do not. Personally, I do not drink. I don't drink beer, strong drink, wine. What about water? Drink water. Uh, But there is a reason. There is a reason. My family and my wife's family have multiple alcoholics in them. And so there was a strong proclivity towards abuse of alcohol in the previous generation. Which I, I, I did not want to demonstrate in this generation to my children. Mm. And so, so I just, they, they know why. They know why, but on the other hand, they, they know I, I don't, you know, if I go out to dinner with a man and he wants to have a beer or, or a glass of wine, well, and he doesn't get drunk, well, he has the liberty to do that. Right? <clears throat> so we need good balance. Good balance. You know, I know for the Baptists, prohibition, prohibition. No, no alcohol ever again. In fact, when we serve communion, we're just going to have Welsh's grapefruit juice. (laughs) And you know, we serve both here because we believe it is a matter of conviction. It's a matter of liberty in Christ. So once again, the resolve for both individuals should be, how do I show the love of Christ to my brother? Because once again, our determination should be to consider the conscience of the other before we consider our own. 
Now, the weaker brother may never get beyond his trouble about thinking about the abusive alcoholic father and the destruction that he brought to the family. But the stronger, let's call him, believer, should not let this be a bother to him, for as Paul says in Romans 14, God has welcomed him. God sets the standard. We follow the standard. Now with that, I want to go back to Romans and finish the chapter. At verse 14, Paul says this. Excuse me. Romans 14, verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one, excuse me, who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The apostle Paul concludes his thoughts by expressing that it was his belief that nothing was unclean in itself. I believe that is too in the scripture. God created all things, and what did he say? They are good. It is my belief that we all need to strive to come to this point. If anyone had a full understanding of the word of God, it was the Apostle Paul, before Christ, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and when it came to the law, he was blameless. So we know that this was a man who studied intently what he believed. Thus, we are given understanding that if anything, Paul was a student who studied what he believed in a comprehensive manner. Paul would not have been of the lot of the individuals who believed that to raise a hand or walk an aisle in response to the gospel was enough for him. I'm good. Now I can go through my wicked life, my pagan life how I want. Because I've said a prayer. I went to the altar. This wasn't the gospel. The Apostle Paul, as we know, wanted to be saved by the gospel. He wanted to live the gospel and if need be, die for what he believed. As example, there are times when I am eating food that is amazing. And delicious. I either want to keep eating more of it 
Or if it is my last bite, I desire to savor the food by chewing it as long as I can. So the delicious flavors keep secreting in my mouth. I tell a story of, of a restaurant that I went to that I tasted food and taste that I'd never tasted before. It wasn't an eating experience. It was a tasting experience. <laughs> but this was the Apostle Paul. He wasn't satisfied with merely having occasional bites of Christ. No, no, he desired to experience and savor every bit of Christ's life that he could. May the Lord give you and I this insatiable desire to experience the life of Christ as well. I will close with this. In Colossians 3, Paul informs the church of the characteristics that would make their lives most look like the life of Christ. At verse 12, he says this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord also has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this impeccable life that your Son demonstrated and put on display as he came to this earth and walked it out. Father, may we, may we have de- the desire to walk in the same way. As the Apostle Paul said, my desire is to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and even to be conformed to his very death. Lord, we desire all of Christ. Give us that desire, not to just have bits and pieces, but all of Christ. May it be so, Lord. May you bless us with this desire, each one of us. Father, we we thank you. We pray as we go our separate ways in this week. Our resolve would be to go out and do one thing, and that is to demonstrate the life of Christ. And we thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.